0: Appreciate the invitation, and um, I'm really excited to uh, talk to you a little bit about um, about Daniel chapter four, and um, and I approach this kind of thing a little differently than I do preaching. I, d- I just put some notes down, and we'll kind of see where it goes. And if if I go beyond my my limit, just you know, start giving me that, and and I'll know that it, it's time to break. Um, Daniel chapter four is. An unusual chapter. Well, the book of Daniel is an unusual book, as you are learning as you go through it. But one of the things that makes Daniel chapter four so unusual is we're not sure who's talking in it, um, because at the beginning we're hearing the voice of Nebuchadnezzar, like he wrote part of it, and um, and that's probably a royal decree or a letter that he wrote that that is embedded. Um, and, and then that ends, and it goes to the third person, the narrator of Daniel, um, of the rest of the book of Daniel, who we're used to, that person's vantage point, maybe maybe it's Daniel himself, maybe someone else who wrote the book, um, telling his story, we don't know exactly. And then we get to the end of the chapter, and it's Nebuchadnezzar again. Um, and, and it kind of reminded me of this movie that, that was out several years ago called Vantage Point, where it looked at one event. But it it looked at it from all these different perspectives of people, Um, and you as a viewer are trying to figure out what really happened, because you're looking at it from all these different perspectives. Um, And so I think Daniel chapter 4 invites us to read it and to apply it um, from two perspectives, Um, from the perspective of Nebuchadnezzar and from the perspective of Daniel, and our immediate inclination is going to get, gonna go, you know, we're, we're like Daniel. We're the, you know, we're the people of God. Um, we, we are living in a kind of exile situation. Um, but I think the way that the text is laid out for us and, and the fact that we hear Nebuchadnezzar's voice in it um, invites us to look at the text and apply the text or his perspective as well. Um, the, the first four chapters of Daniel are, are not just about Daniel and his three friends, Hananiah, Azariah, and Mishael. I always prefer to call them by their Jewish names rather than their pagan Babylonian names of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Um, and, um, but, but it's not just the story of Daniel and the story of his friends. It's also the story of Nebuchadnezzar. Um, and it's the story of Nebuchadnezzar's transformation Um, in chapters 2, 3, and now 4. Nebuchadnezzar's dream in chapter 2, for for all of the trying to figure out what the dream is about and what it refers to, uh, I think the one thing that we can be sure of is it was designed to tell Nebuchadnezzar, your kingdom will not last forever. And in fact, the kingdom of God will come one day and that kingdom will last forever. Um, And so, um, for instance, in chapter two, verses 20 and 21, um, praise be to the name of God forever and ever. Wisdom and power are his. He changes times and seasons. He deposes kings and he raises them up. And then Nebuchadnezzar confesses in verse 47 of chapter 2, Surely your God, Daniel, is the God of gods and the Lord of kings and a revealer of mysteries. And so that is the beginning, that that experience with that dream in chapter 2 of Nebuchadnezzar's transformation. Chapter three with the, you know, his golden, you know, image that he sets up and the fiery furnace and, and, and all of that and Hananiah, Azariah, Mishael and in the fiery furnace and, and all of those things um, reveal that God, to Nebuchadnezzar, that God is supreme among all the other gods. Um, and so um, it, towards the end of, of chapter three, Nebuchadnezzar says, praise be to the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. He uses their pagan Babylonian names, named after Babylonian gods, but he's talking about Hananiah, Azariah, and Mishael. Um, And he says in verse 29, no other god can save like this. Um, And um, in in some ways, chapter 3 leaves Nebuchadnezzar kind of half-converted, uh, maybe you know some people like that. Maybe you feel that way sometimes. But you know, he's he's recognizing the supremacy of the the true and living God, the Creator God. But he's kind of keeping his options open as well. Um, and that brings us to chapter four, um, which we could look at as the completion of Nebuchadnezzar's transformation. Um, and again. Um, we can read and and apply this story from both vantage points. And so I want to start with Nebuchadnezzar's vantage point. Um, If I had to sum up um, what Nebuchadnezzar goes through in chapter four, it's um, a couple of sayings that you've heard before. Um, One saying um, that comes from the book of Proverbs is that pride goes before destruction and a haughty spirit before a fall, um, another saying that might describe Nebuchadnezzar's experience is that power corrupts, and absolute power corrupts absolutely. And then a third saying that might describe Nebuchadnezzar's experiences: the bigger they are, the harder they fall. Um, because Nebuchadnezzar falls quite hard, um, the most powerful ruler of his time, um, the longest reigning king in what historians call the Neo Babylonian Empire, um, which at that time was the world power of that of that period of time. Um, you may know that two of the ancient wonders of the of the ancient world, two of the great wonders of the ancient world, were in Babylon. Um, and it's likely that as Nebuchadnezzar was looking out over his kingdom, that he was seeing the hanging gardens of Babylon, which was one of the great wonders of the ancient world, and the walls of Babylon, which was a second of the great wonders of the ancient world. Um, and so th- this was a man of... There, there was no one higher than him in terms of his power and authority. Um, he is the one who had invaded um, Israel in 586 BC and destroyed the temple in Jerusalem. Um, and lest we forget, um, this is the king that is probably, re- that is responsible for the deaths of most of Daniel's family, um, and so, even though Daniel is friendly towards him and respectful towards him they're 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 not friends; they're not buddies um, and like I said, his power corrupts absolute power corrupts absolutely that saying from Lord Acton that we've probably all heard before um and so um Nebuchadnezzar has a dream as you, as you've read the text I don't need to read it to you and repeat it to you um has a dream where he sees this huge tree that's cut down, but the stump has remained, and, and Nebuchadnezzar doesn't know what the dream means, he just knows that it's bad, right? And, and, and he knows that he needs to figure out what it means, and, you know, eventually he calls Daniel, um, to interpret the dream for him. Um, and the dream means that um, that he 's going to be cut down, that he will have seven times, which probably refers to seven years um, of what what certainly sounds like insanity, um, where he lives and acts as an animal um, until um, finally he is humbled enough, and he um, comes back to his his sanity and confesses that that he is not a God, that he is not the one who is responsible for um, all of the greatness of Babylon, but that actually um, he doesn't deserve any of the credit for it, that, that that God, the God of Daniel, the God of Hananiah, Azariah, and Mishael, the God of Israel, the creator God, the God of all the earth, is the one who has placed him there and entrusted that to him. Um, so he has this dream. Um, and um, in some ways, um, here we have a human being who aspired to be a god, who therefore is brought down to be an animal in order to learn how to be restored to be a human being again. Um, and that that's kind of the, the journey that, that Nebuchadnezzar takes here. Um, and for seven years he'll live like an animal. And, um, some people have pointed out that there's actually a mental illness called, uh, clinical lyca- lycanthropy, um, where a person thinks that they're an animal and behaves like an animal. And there are actually similar stories. Uh, King George Third of Britain, um, is said to have had this clinical um, illness Otto of Bavaria is said to have had this illness and so apparently this is a thing if that's what is being described in our text Um, and so he, um, he has this break from reality. He's, he's driven out, um, you know, he's eating the grass and drinking the dew and, and living as an animal and not taking care of his hygiene. And it's kind of gross if you're reading it. Um, and, um, and only after, um, after seven years, he is restored after he fully acknowledges God, um, and his acknowledgement is really remarkable. I mean, I read that, I read what he says, and I go, we might see Nebuchadnezzar in heaven. And that, that's kind of a crazy thing to think about. Um, especially, you know, the person responsible for invading Jerusalem, destroying the temple, probably the person responsible for the deaths of most of Daniel, Hananiah, Azariah, and Mishael's family members, um, that he seems to have undergone some kind of transformation here um, and uh, his sanity is restored, his kingdom is restored, um, but that 's the last we we 're going to hear of Nebuchadnezzar, um, and when we get to chapter five of Daniel, um, we have a new uh, a new monarch in town um, but, but it kind of completes the story of Nebuchadnezzar. And, and Nebuchadnezzar, you know, because we have his perspective in the text, it invites us to see ourselves in his role. And, and that's not natural for us as Bible readers. You know, we're used to saying, oh, you know, we, we have a list of the Nebuchadnezzar's that we know, right? We have a list of the people who are filled with arrogance and filled with ego and filled with pride, um, that, you know probably upset us and make us sick um and that we're just waiting for them to fall um you know i probably have half a dozen people on my list you probably have people on your list right and all, all of us you know that that's our natural tendency to read this but because his voice is in the text it invites us to say how about me how about us and, and in some ways um what happens to Nebuchadnezzar is really reflective and, and speaks to anybody that has power. And I, I think it's tempting for us to sit and say, well, gosh, I don't have a lot of power because I can, you know, look around me and see a bunch of people that have a lot more power than I do. Um And, you know, I just came from the mayor's prayer breakfast and, you know, Cindy and I were driving into the country club, you know, where the prayer breakfast was. And Cindy said, this is the first time I've ever been to the country club. (laughs) Um, And, you know, and then looking around and the mayor and, and, you know, all these other people, it's easy for us to say, well, I'm not very powerful um, because we see a bunch of people around us that have more power. But if you pan the camera back and, and maybe look at it from the perspective of the entire world and the kind of power and privilege that the rest of the world has, um, all of us in this room um, are far, have far more power and influence um, than we're often aware of and that we realize. And um, all of us have advantage. We have privileges that have been granted to us by society that we didn't grant or that we didn't earn, um, you know, male privilege is a thing. I, I'm aware of the fact that when, when I walk into a room as a man, that, that people have been socialized to take my opinions more seriously than that of a woman, whether they're good opinions or not, um, you know, that that's, that that's a thing, that that's real. Um, we You know, if we have education, if we have wealth, if we own a home, if we have status, if we have a job, um, All of us have these things. Um, And I think what the text, in, in part, is inviting us to do is to beware of what Nebuchadnezzar did. Of one, thinking that he deserved and earned all that himself. And two, thinking that all of that power was for himself, for his own splendor, his own glory. Um, And and so I think the text is an invitation for us to, one, acknowledge that any power, any privilege, any influence that we have comes from God. Um, it, it, It ultimately comes from God you know and, and and we can play this game in our mind you know well you know i worked hard for my 3 degrees um and that's true um you know that but at the same time i had a family that supported me and i you know i lived in a place where i applied for for certain aid and i got it and so you know i can't take credit for that um and and so to ultimately view the advantages that we have is not something that we own but something that God has granted to us and the corollary for that is because of that they don't belong to us for us to use them in any way that we see poss- that, that we that we want but that we've been entrusted with influence with privilege with advantage for the sake and the well-being of others. That that it's not just for ourselves. And and I think when we read the story of Nebuchadnezzar, and resist the urge to look at the Nebuchadnezzars out there. And say I may have a little Nebuchadnezzar in me. Um, I think it's that it's that reality check of asking myself and reminding myself um, that the advantages and the privileges and the influence that I have don't come from me. They come from God, and I need to acknowledge that, Um, and that they're not given to me for myself, for my own self-promotion, for my own self-aggrandizement, but those things are entrusted to me for the sake of others. For the sake of the common good um, and uh, sometimes people will come up to me and you know and they'll they'll say, "I really you know enjoy your preaching and and i I appreciate the input and i but I often don't know what to say because um, yeah, I work hard on on my sermons, but i didn't choose this gift, um, you know sometimes I wished I knew how to fix my car um." <laughs> Or, or, you know, sometimes I, I wish I knew how to, um, you know, how to read the stock market, um, or, or, you know, that I had a, a, a singing voice that people would want amplified, um, you know, or, or some of these other things. And in it, it, almost feels like, you know, God was, you know, eeny meeny miny moe. I give you this kind of thing, um, and and so I feel like when I when I'm preaching. Or teaching i 'm just kind of doing what someone else gave me the thing to do um, and and i don 't say that when people come up to me because i it, it you know it gets into this whole, it, it sounds like it, it sounds like self aggrandizing and it 's really not it 's just i i 'm just doing what i 'm supposed to do. Um, and it's no different than you doing what you're supposed to do. And if we all do what we're supposed to do with the things that God gives us, good things happen. Um, and so um, I, I, I think that as we recognize that the, the influence, the privileges, the power um, that, that we carry in life come from God and give him credit for it, and then steward those things for the good of others um I, I i think that that is the right path to where God is trying to direct nebuchadnezzar um and and if we don't, God will humble us um i I was reading uh, James Boyce's sermon on this um chapter um and he uh he said, um, "You know, some sins are judged in this life. All sins will be judged in the next life. But pride is probably the one sin that God provokes God's judgment the most. And we certainly see that with Nebuchadnezzar. That that his pride and arrogance um, is what brought him down. And so I'm I'm fond of a saying that you know, if we don't humble ourselves." Um, God will humble us. And often that humbling feels like humiliation um, when it happens. And I've been through seasons in my life where where that has certainly happened. And so that's um, reading it from the perspective of Nebuchadnezzar. Nebuchadnezzar. Perspective of Daniel, in some ways there's a continuum here. The one who has the most power in the story, at least on a human level, is Nebuchadnezzar. The one who has the least power in the story is Daniel. And we have kind of this, this continuum, and we have both of their vantage points, both of their perspectives. Um, if Nebuchadnezzar is at the top of the ladder, uh, Daniel's at the bottom of the ladder, um, he's achieved some status by interpreting dreams, But, you know, let's not fool ourselves. Daniel is an outsider to Babylon. Daniel will never belong in Babylon. He will always be a slave, a Jewish exile whose family was probably killed by the very armies that Nebuchadnezzar commands and who was taken against his will into a foreign place who was given a new name that replaced his name, that had the, the name of his God, El, from Elohim, and was given a new name that had the name of a Babylonian God to try to erase his religious heritage and was indoctrinated in the literature and educational system of the Babylonians. Um, this, this is Daniel. And um, Daniel lives on the margins of Babylon, um, even though he 's achieved some status by interpreting dreams, and he sees the meaning of the dream, um, and he's scared and he 's alarmed and, and I don't think it's just because he you know feels bad for what's about to happen to Nebuchadnezzar um, I I think Daniel probably knows the old saying, you know, don't shoot the messenger kind of thing, that he knows that he has got to give this person bad news. And do do you notice that the more powerful people become, the more they become surrounded with people that just tell them what they want to hear? You know, and, and it's like the old story, the emperor's, you know, clothes, that, that, the more power a person achieves, and I see that I see this with pastors sometimes. When I, when I was the uh, the chapel director at APU, and we bring in pastors from very large churches, and they'd have their posse with them, and um, you know, and their posse would just like constantly be you know giving them praise and and positive words, and and I'd look at that and go, man, I'm sure it's nice to hear encouragement all the time, but I'm thinking, who tells you the truth? You know who has the courage to maybe say something not so flattering and to say something true and so that 's the position daniel 's in um, You know Daniel could have you know heard the dream and saw the meaning and just made something else up and you know it 's not like Nebuchadnezzar would have known during those seven years he 's out there eating grass and you know and living like an animal. Um, And so Daniel's in a very challenging situation where he's being called upon by someone in great power, someone who in the past has used that power in violent ways that have affected Daniel's life. And now he has to deliver the bad news. And so kudos to Daniel for having the courage to interpret the dream. And he does so very respectfully. You know, would that this was about your enemies, but it's not. This is about you. And he interprets the dream. But then, in verse 27 of Daniel 4, Daniel goes beyond what Nebuchadnezzar had asked him to do. You know, Nebuchadnezzar calls in Daniel to interpret the dream. Daniel does that. But then in verse 27, let me read it. He says, therefore, your majesty, please accept my advice. You can call Daniel for advice. But Daniel's like stepping up here. Renounce your sins by doing what is right and your wickedness by being kind to the oppressed, or some translations have showed justice to the oppressed, it may be that then your prosperity will continue. Um, Maybe you've heard the phrase speaking truth to power. That's really what Daniel's doing here. Um, He's speaking truth to someone far more powerful than him And he's doing it with courage. He's doing it with grace. He's doing it with respect. He's doing it with compassion. Um, And I mean, he's almost like giving Nebuchadnezzar a little altar call here. Um, You know, it's not too late. Maybe this dream isn't the way it has to be. Change your behavior now, stop being a tyrant. Seek justice rather than your own good, um, but of course he doesn't do that um, and it's notable that after Daniel four we don 't hear any more about Nebuchadnezzar, but we sure hear more about daniel and uh, Daniel um, survives through um, a couple of monarchies, and so if we 're going to apply the 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 passage. From the vantage point of Daniel, um, where we kind of at the opposite side of the spectrum, where we 're the ones that are lacking in influence, in power and privilege, and we have the courage to speak truth, to not do it obnoxiously on a Facebook post. But to do it with grace and respect and compassion. You know, um, m- one of my um, one of my theology interests is I I love the literature of the confessing church movement um, from Germany um, during the rise of Hitler. Um, and so you're probably familiar with uh, the name Dietrich Bonhoeffer, who's part of that Confessing Church movement. Um, and he, he, I like Bonhoeffer, but he's actually not my favorite. My favorite is this guy named Helmut Thielecki, um, who, um, Thielecki was a uh, theology professor um, and um, had um, taught some things um, that were contrary to the teaching of the, um, of the Third Reich um, with the rise of Hitler um, And um, part of that was the government taking over all the universities. And so, um, Tielecki was critical of that. And therefore he was removed from his tenured post as a uh, professor of theological ethics. Um, And he was sent to Stuttgart. And, um, and was um, basically, he wasn't under arrest, but it was, uh, don't leave Stuttgart and we're watching you constantly. And, and so he he didn't know what to do. He'd spent his entire life as a theology professor. And so um, he decided to become a pastor of a little church in Stuttgart. Um, he'd never pastored before, had no idea what he was doing. After all these years teaching theological ethics, and uh, of all people, he discovers um, um, the writings of... Um, um, Go blank on his name. It'll come to me in a minute. Uh, Charles Spurgeon, um, the writings of Charles Spurgeon inspires him in his um, pastoring. But um, he he published a number of sermons that he preached, and one of my favorites is his series of sermons on the Lord's Prayer that he wrote. Um, and he pastored this church in the um, in, in the tail end of World War II when um, Allied um, Allied bombers were um, carpet bombing Germany and so the the air raid sirens would come um and then you know carpet bombing was indiscriminate bombing just bombing the city not necessarily military tar- targets but just bombing the city um and um in this series on uh, um on the lord's prayer as you read it he he talks about um at, at one point he's in this tiny little church and um it's basically um women and children, because and and, and elderly men, um, because you know all of the younger to middle-aged men are off fighting the war, and it, it's tiny. And he he describes trying to proclaim the truth of the gospel while he hears a parade with Hitler youth marching outside, and how despite all appearances uh, or that all appearances suggest that the little message that he's proclaiming to this tiny congregation of, um, of, of older women, mostly and elderly men and children um, is hopeless in comparison of the power that is surrounding him. Um, he uh, gets, I think it's to the the part where it says, uh, "Give us this day our daily bread" in his sermon series, and um, and the carpet bomb bombing destroys the church, and so they meet in the rubble in his one pair of boots that he has. And it's a remarkable sermon as you read it. Um, as he talks about, um, you know, we look around us and it looks like the apocalypse is happening. It looks like the end of civilization, the end of the world as he knows it. And yet he begins to proclaim Jesus. He begins to proclaim hope. He be, and, and of course, you know, it was shortly after that that the, the World War Two ended. Um, and uh, eventually Tielecki was reinstated as a professor of theological ethics, had a very distinguished career. Um, But I I, I think about the the women and the men that were part of the Confessing Church movement um, as an example of people who live like Daniel lived, who, um, in the face of overwhelming power and on the margins of that power, they didn't try to grab it. They didn't try to take it over. But they just spoke a true and hopeful word to that power. Um, and, uh, and and I don't know what our situations are today. Um, the, the reason I love the, the, the writings from this period is, um, and, and these are the people, if you were in Church Sunday, who wrote the Barman Declaration that I read just a little section of um, is that the I, I think that that their clarity is helpful for every generation of the church, um, and so we may have our lists of Nebuchadnezzars in our lives, um, some of them may be family members, um, some of them may be um, employers, um, some of them may be institutions. Um, and that as we think about what it means to to be faithful to God and to follow Jesus, um, in the face of those Nebuchadnezzars, um, we are well aware of how powerless we are; that we lack the resources, that we that we lack the capacity, that we are not the equal, that we are not the match of that power. Um, And I think the story of Daniel and his faithfulness in this text invite us to embrace that role and with grace and with compassion and with kindness to be willing to speak truth, be willing to be faithful to our God, be willing to be faithful to, to who he's called us to be, to leave the results to him. And even as Tielecki said that it felt helpless and hopeless to proclaim the truth of Jesus amid the marching boots of Hitler youth outside his church, that in the end, that was just a time. And evil eventually does fall. Nebuchadnezzars eventually are brought down and sometimes transformed, and so to be faithful to our calling is the people of God. So let me pray for us before you're dismissed to your class or your groups. Father, thank you for these words, and thank you for the just the example of Daniel. Lord, it's hard for us to imagine what it was like for him as such a young man to have been ripped from his family, from those who loved him, and to be in such a foreign place, such a place filled with temptation, a place where he could lose his sense of who he was. And God, thank you that he didn't lose that. And help us not lose that either. Uh, Father, help the women in this room be faithful to the name that you have called them as your daughters, as your children. And may we, God, always give you praise for the privileges and the influence that we have and use it for the benefit of others. And may we always be faithful in speaking truth with compassion and grace in the face of power when we are on the margins. God, we pray these things in the name of the same God that Daniel worshipped, the God who sent your son, Jesus. We pray these things in his name. Amen. Amen. And you are dismissed to your groups.